So, Jim, I received a letter from a client the other day, and they said they'd recently inherited £115,000. And the yep. question was, is the Fife rental property still worth it? Ooh, that's the magic <laughs> question. So tell me more about this letter then. What does it all say? Because this is it. Okay. You've inherited what, 115,000 in and, and the, the key here is, is the Fife rental property market still worth it and worth the risk? So yeah. what does it say then, Richard, in detail? And we'll go through this. Right, okay. So the letter itself, we've recently inherited 115,000. We have contemplated purchasing a Fife buy to let property to support yeah. their early retirement. Mm -hmm. uh, they've took into consideration of the considering the Skipton Building Society offers 4.25 percent return on their okay. 18 month, on their 18 month bond, uh, yeah. and in their words, so basically what we're saying is there's a there's a savings bond, an 18 month bond with the Skipton Building Society right now giving you a 4.25 return. You have a thousand pound personal savings allowance on interest. So you could earn up to a thousand pounds, and you don't pay tax on any interest mm -hmm. up to a thousand pounds worth. And and so go on, go on. Just to, yeah. this is just to give some background to everybody yeah, yeah. about where. And then, you know, and their works with the stagnant five property market, they're uncertain about whether investing in a rental property is worth the trouble. Okay. Okay, that's an interesting one. Yeah, I would have respond to that. Well, dear Mr. and Mrs. A from Fife, yeah. um, I would say, realistically, if your primary objective is to generate income and reduce your workload, buying a buy-to-let property is likely not the favourable option unless you leverage the, pur the purchase. Um, yeah. So what I mean by that? Uh, well, buy-to-let is not for the faint-hearted. I'll tell you that straight away. It is definitely not for the faint-hearted. This is our medium to long-term strategy. Yeah. But in response to this question, let me explain this. So the Skipton Building Society is a 4.25% bond, mm -hmm. which would provide an annual income of uh, £5,175. Uh, now, on the face of it, that sounds very attractive for 115000 investment, because you've still got your 115000 when you think about it. But remember, inflation's eroding this at round about, I think it's 8.7 just now. We'll just say 10 to make it easy. Um, so inflation's eroding. So basically, you're only getting half of what you could get on, uh, you know, in terms of inflation. So you're only, your your money is still eroding every every year it passes if it's 8.5 or whatever it is, inflation. Yeah. It's still eroding by 50% of what the erosion was going to be in the first place. So, so uh, hopefully everybody understands that. Now, excluding the initial setup costs of solicitors, yeah, I think land and buildings transaction yeah, tax. Yeah, 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 yeah. For one hundred fifteen thousand pound, you can buy a two-bedroom terrace house in Kirkcaldy. And 
what would that rent for Richard? A two-bedroom terrace house in Kirkcaldy? I mean, you're talking seven hundred pounds. Okay. Maybe slightly more, but seven hundred oh, oh. a fair a fair if price. Eight four zero zero and eight four zero zero and divide it by one hundred and fifteen. Uh, you're talking about a seven point three percent return. A gross return. Really. No, I was just going to say you know, that's a gross return, not net return. So this is a gross return, and why do I say gross return? Because this is assuming you've bought it for cash. So 7.3% gross return, this is what it is. Net return is a different story. That's when you introduce leverage in your position. So, yeah, when you rent a property, you need to allow for management fees, the other things you've yep. got to take into account, and the maintenance. Um, so the return would actually reduce when you actually took that into account to round about £5,880 per annum, or a yield equivalent to 5.1%. We're almost getting to the 4.25, aren't we? Yeah. And you're kind yeah. of thinking it hardly seems worth the hassle for an extra £82.75 a month with a buy-to-let property compared to that bond. Yeah. So let's look at this a bit further. If you use a 75% interest-only mortgage mm -hmm. on a two-year fixed-rate deal, you're actually getting 3.94 just now with the mortgage works. Okay. Yeah. Um, on the same five home. So leveraging, even at today's higher interest rates, that's what you're doing. The return on the 25% cash invested, so this is what's invested, because it's not the 115 and you're investing, is £28,750 that you're investing in. That's what you've got left in it. That increases your return from the 51 to 8.6%. Now that's your net return. So your mortgage income. You've grown from a gross return of 7.3 to a net return of 8.6. However, this is when it gets this is when it gets interesting. I'm looking forward <laughs> to this bit. Yeah. Stay with me, folks. And if you're not staying with me, ask me what it means or yeah. whatever whatever I'm talking about. Because it comes right off the top of my head quite easily. But for most people, it's like, I have not a clue what you've just said to me. So if that's just one property for 28750 how many more can you buy for 115000 oh, So if you bought three, yeah, if you bought yeah. three, you're probably working, you've probably got the same number as me in the mind, Richard. Yeah. About three, you would use three quarters of your inheritance of the 115000 to buy three properties with 75% mortgages. The monetary return after the mortgage payments would be 7,445 per annum, leaving you 28,750 to more than cover the land and buildings transaction tax and legals costs. Yeah, legal within your 6%, yeah. So, let me think about this again. If you had cash to cover the land building transaction tax and legal costs, your return would rise to 9,927 annually if you bought four homes because you could buy four now because you've now covered the cost if you there's another story here if you bought them in conjunction with another two properties you'd obliterate ads which is additional dwelling supplement which would actually you know exonerate you from that as well so you wouldn't have that cost either but that's another story so is the return sufficiently higher than 4.25 percent threshold to make it worthwhile that's what you've got to ask yourself. Yeah, and that's the big question. Is it really worthwhile and, and doing all this? And um, 
obviously that's what we're discussing at, at the moment to, to see whether it actually is as it will be the question everybody asks and do you know when they've got money and you've got a pot of money whether it is inheritance or, or you've, you've got savings and you think right let's let's invest this let's save mm -hmm. ourselves up for retirement or whatever there's there's an element of risk always but i think there's a way ways and means of doing things and speaking to the right people so that you're doing that correctly and feel confident in whoever's helping you do that or even within yourself yeah. if you're knowledgeable enough to do it mm -hmm. um, and, and really the question is to make sure it's worthwhile most landlords are actually primarily motivated by the potential for long-term capital growth rather than the actual rental income though because they realize I that. now i mean you know most actually realize now there's not that return the higher return anymore that you can get in other words in other words to create an income straight away for yourself so what you need to do is actually then look at the long-term capital did you realize in australia that most landlords actually buy without the income at all and they actually end up sometimes making a loss which in my mind isn't it worthwhile we spoke about this the other day yeah, i didn't know that um, because they they think <clears throat> the, the the value of the property will go up now i'll be honest with you i knew people that actually did that in a strategy before the credit crunch then the credit crunch came along and wiped them out completely because mm -hmm. they had nothing else to to keep them going because they had no income coming in and they still had to service the debt at that high value and their property was a negative equity, and most of them never returned. Are no longer here, so it's so they're they're promoted by, by the growth rather than the rental income. And you mentioned the current five market is stagnant. Well, that was what they mentioned. That's as I say, that was their words. The, 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 the five property market being so stagnant, um, they were uncertain about whether to invest in a rental property. So what's your opinion on the market then? Um, I mean, we've stated several times in, in, in the blogs and things that Fife have upturned recently and yeah. rents have risen, obviously rents, uh, rents have risen obviously uh, dramatically and rocketed over the last couple of years and we've got to a point where they, they have risen right across the whole of Fife. So let's, to say let's the, property stagnant, the property market is stagnant for me is... Yeah. Right. Let's cover that then. Let's cover that thing that you said there right now about five house prices have upturned recently, and that's fine. Um, and rents have risen like a rocket in the last couple of years. Now, why have mm -hmm. rents risen, risen? Why put my teeth back in? Why have rents <laughs> risen like a rocket in the last couple of years? And it's oh. primarily to do with the fact that. They've since, not risen for such a long time. Yeah, since 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 the early two thousands, um, rents have actually been quite stable and 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 all the time, and they've actually been historically low in comparison to the value of the property. Yeah. Now that the value of the property have actually gone up, therefore rents is having to go up in order to uh, provide the proper return on investment. So it's not the fact that the, the, I mean it's just like anything. Inflation's gone up. Um, house prices have gone up in the last couple of years. So why wouldn't rents go up as well to, to do that? Because people want a fair return on capital. And that's only right that you should get a fair return on capital. Or what's the point of being a landlord? There's no point to it then. You may as well just take your money and go and do something else completely different, like yeah. invest in the 18-month bond and give you 4.25 hassle-free. No tenant, nobody to worry about, no repairs to do, no call-outs to do. It's just your money sits in the bank and makes 4.25 yeah. every year for the 18 months. Well, for the one and a half years. So that's where we are right now and there. And of course, there's a risk to five house prices declining 
significantly since interest rates are rising, and we have world events that could change things. However, historically, though, five property prices have generally outpaced inflation at an average of by 2.4% per annum since 1975, something that savings bond can never do. I looked at the statistics for house prices in general in the UK. And this was the, the reason behind this was because I was wanting to point out to people how house prices have actually outperformed inflation, no bother. So what can I say to that? Since I was born in 1966, so 56, 57 years coming up for house prices to the average house price in 1966 compared to the average house price today in the UK has gone up by 8,004%. I'll say that again, 8,004%. Inflation in the same period of time, according to the Bank of England's calculator, has gone up by 1,333%. House prices have outperformed inflation by... 6,671% more than inflation. Now that's a big difference. Boom. <laughs> that's blown your mind. Because it blows my mind. And, and, and for them, people, yeah, sorry, people might have the question, Jim. People might have the question then when you're saying that. Is that same trend going to continue? I mean, is that not just... Is that not just that's not that's that. Yeah. All right. Now, since that last 20-year period, since the year 2000, mm -hmm. salaries have doubled. The average salary has actually doubled since the year 2000, okay? And what will systematically happen over the next years, next 10, 20, 30, 40 years? Salaries will continue to increase, and they will continue to go up anyway, regardless, because everything else goes up as well. Therefore, everybody has to be paid more as a result of that. Therefore, the whole level goes up. As things become more efficient and more money is saved in these cost efficiencies, there'll be more profits for business, potentially. Therefore, more money will be available to, to award, you know, to people with investment and funds. That money will then go back into the system again, which will rise prices again. So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that the way the capitalistic system works is the fact that Economics is about supply and demand, and because of that, it continues to go up inflation every single year. This is why the main driver behind this, in order to keep prices level and, and, and leveled off, is to actually for the government to actually have this target at 2% every single year. They don't want any more than 2% because that keeps everything stable and it keeps prices stable and it keeps the demand for wages and salaries stable as well because yeah. everybody's standard of living has grown to that capacity. Now, something actually said it said to me the other day was, what was it they said? It said something along the lines that, well, 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 it's all right, I've not got to start. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, it's, not, it's not a problem with the video. It's, I'm just trying to think how to word this properly. Will, they have, will the fact that prices continue to go up affect the money the money in your pocket for example base rates so base rates are going up right now but what everybody fails to realize that when everybody took out a mortgage in 2015 and onwards everybody was even though the mortgage the, the mortgage rate was maybe at a fixed rate of five years for for example for two uh, percent mm -hmm. 
even though it's 2% or something ludicrous, or even 10 years at 3%, and people have still got that deal, if it's coming out right now, what everybody failed to realise, that everybody was stress-tested at mortgage rates of between 6 and 8%. Yeah. So the people that have, are, are getting squeezed right now, that are their mortgages, which is 1.3 million people throughout Britain at this point in time, they're going to be ending the fixed rate mortgages this year. Well, actually, have been stress tested at six, between six and eight percent originally. So while they think they can't afford their new mortgage, they can under yeah. the stress testing rules, because the stress testing rules assumes that you don't need to go out every single night to lunch or dine. You don't need to have takeouts all the time. You don't need to go on luxury holidays every single time. That's all classed as luxury living to, yeah. to the stress test system. So the bear, when you bring, bring it right back down to the bare necessities of what you need to live, which is food, light, heat and water and a roof over your head, the reality is it all comes back to it all comes back to the premise that there is money there for people to afford that. Therefore, we're historically going to still be in that position where prices will still continue to rise because that disposable income is actually... It could be easily be allocated somewhere else. Now, people are taking out mortgage rates right now as well. Mortgages right now are stress tested at between eight and eleven percent. So this is why this is why. So what I'm saying overall is this will continue to rise because the affordability is always still there. Even banks are becoming more creative by saying, "I tell you what, it's no creative really. It's instead of twenty five years for your mortgage, we'll give you thirty five. Yeah, because yeah, it decreases the monthly payment every single month. It allows people to then have money to go and do and have disposable income to do other things. Um, and, and uh, you know, things like rising costs of utilities. Well, they're actually going to be dropping from July. Um, and then, uh, you know, food price inflation to take yeah. into account that. So they'll not be squeezed that much in real terms. Now, there will be people out there which will be, will be really struggling at this point in time. And, and that's not okay. But that's the government that needs to sort that out. We can't do anything about that at all. But we can just see the overall situation and how the how the economy works and, and, and extrapolate that and see how it applies to the buy-to-let system, the property investment system, and also the housing market for sales. Yeah. This is yeah. why I think property prices will still go up because the cost of the, the cost of everybody's salaries will continue to go up as well. And because the banks are becoming more creative, making it easier for everybody to afford every single month uh, lower monthly payments by extending the mortgage term, it allows people to buy property at a higher price. Therefore, simple supply and demand suggests that there'll be more people still chasing one individual property, therefore pushing the price up even more over the medium to long term. Yeah. So your long answer that I did there the now to your short question about will this continue to happen is absolutely. Yeah, because I bet yeah. you're bottom your dollar. I bet you're bottom dollar. Because back in the nineteen sixty six and back in the nineteen seventies and back in I remember the nineteen eighties when we had a mortgage. Yeah. Our mortgage more or less was about forty five to fifty percent of our, our income. Today, the average mortgage is about thirty six percent or maybe thirty percent, thirty to thirty six percent of the of the average income. Yeah, so I mean, we still there's a huge margin to go. But it's because everybody's got into the standard of living where it's like, I've got to have two cars and I've got, got to have to, a yeah. purchase. Nobody ever had two cars before in higher purchase. So that if you get rid of one car, you've immediately brought yourself back another £300 a month in your hand by getting rid of one car. Oh, but I need another car. 
well, there's public transport and there's also walking to your work or cycling. Yeah. Uh, or sharing with someone else. What? Share with someone else? I hear you say. <laughs> and I can't do that. It's like, really? But people, are, we are like that as a nation and as a culture. We've got so embedded into there, into this, um, it's, this psyche of we have to have everything now and an instant. The expectation that these things are not to you. Instant microwave society. Ping! Yeah. I want it now. Ping! I want it now. Ping! I want it now. That's all they that's all people do. I deserve it. Everybody on the telly tells me to deserve it. Kim Kardashian told me I deserve it, so I deserve it. <laughs> that's what people say to themselves yeah. when they come on and, and you know, an influencer. That's why they're called influencers for that reason. When an mm -hmm. influencer comes on social media and goes, Yeah, come on, you deserve it. You worked hard for it. And it's like, yeah, I do deserve it. <laughs> and it's like, no, you don't. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to earn it. You've got to earn it. That's when you deserve it. You've got to earn it. You've got to work for it. It takes blood, sweat, and tears yeah. to earn something. And then you'll know what it's really worth. Because when you've earned it, you'll never spend it on rubbish. Yeah. You'll and never I think spend it's... it on luxury items because you know the amount of effort you've had to put in to get that money. Yeah. I think it's a good point. That, and we covered it before as well. And, and people that people are aware their current, if their current mortgage uh, rate and things is coming to an end and they're going to have to change and it's going to go up and their mortgage payments are going to be higher. And some yeah. people will have the the uh, the uh, the attitude that, God, how could they expect me to pay that? It's jumped up so much. But people don't understand that it has been stress tested and you can't afford it. And yeah. it, you just need to do without some of these things. And we've done it with my own situation and uh, the last time we sat down at uh, gym midweek and looked at how like my mortgage and payments and things. And, and of course I can, if they were to change it. Luckily enough, I fixed mine for a longer period of time. Um, and that's only because um, I made that decision. Not that I knew and I had a crystal ball, but um, just the way it was. So I think it's, it's important that people appreciate that. But just to come back, so what we're talking about, obviously five house prices generally outpacing inflation. And they do that on average, mm -hmm. you said about 2.4% per annum since like 1975. Yep. So, that, so yeah. then that would mean that that 2.4% needs to be added in to your expected yield for your rent to cover, to give you that return on your rental investment then. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. However, remember, uh, the 2.4% every single annum house prices have actually outperformed um, inflation since 1975 is actually something a savings bond will never, ever do. Plus yes. the fact, here's the more exciting thing, is you're actually earning income at the same time from the rent. Yes. That That's not factored into here. When you think about the logic, because we're talking about house price inflation now. Yeah. So we're talking about house prices, not income. So there's two there's two revenue streams out of this. There's one eventually when you sell the asset, which is a capital, capital gain. Appreciation. Yeah. And then there's also the other one, which is the income that you get every single month as a result of actually holding the property and actually renting it to someone else. Mm -hmm. Now, incidentally, that someone else doesn't have the commitment of having a mortgage. Yeah. So literally, we've taken the place of the bank, but they've got the beauty and the luxury that they don't need to pay for any repairs or improvements in the property, and they can walk away any time they want with a 28 days notice, easily. 28 days notice, and you've got a lot less expensive entrance and exit costs as well. Entry, entry and exit costs are comparatively low in comparison. It's literally just a, a month's rent up front and, yeah. and, and, and a deposit, and deposit up front as well. Yeah. 
that's literally the entry cost to actually going, and then exit cost is the same. Uh, uh, you know, so when you compare it against the entry cost to buying a house, you've got solicitor's fees, you've got um, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be I'm supposed to be an estate agent. I'm arguing against buying and renting. <laughs> <laughs> no, buy a house. Um, but we, we spoke of before. Sell a house. Renting and buying are both good options depending on the individual and their circumstances. You've hit the nail on the head. That's what yeah. it is. It's mobility of labour is the most important point, and we will we will talk about that in a minute. So th yeah. let's get back to this. this. And you said yourself, this means that two point four percent needs to be added to the yield to give the rent and true the return. Uh, that's absolutely right. Therefore with an asset that retains its value in real terms, because we've just proved mm -hmm. that, 8,004% <laughs> versus 1,333 in inflation over yep. the same period of time, uh, in my book, is really outperformed. Um, that, that Oh, incidentally, I, I mean, that's that's quite interesting. Let me let me just check something there, uh, just out of my curiosity, because um, it's now piqued my interest. In a minute, uh, you know, let's see. Okay, right, okay. It's a, it's a lot bigger return over the year, over the number of years that I've been in since 1966, since the 2.4. But then that's taken into account inflation as well. So that's a different story. Um, okay. So let's get back to this and talk about that. Uh, the, the asset remains its value in real terms. The rental income stream that does the same and the depreciating debt. Remember the, the debt reduction strategy. Because what you've borrowed from the bank at £70,000 erodes as well with inflation. Bet you nobody knew that, eh? You don't really think so about that, so do what you? your own, as inflation goes up, what you're on the bank will reduce the value as well. The bank is taking the hit for the inflation as well because every single year that goes by, if inflation's high, the bank's taking an erosion in their in their cost. So they're actually giving the... They're maybe, um, for example, lending the money to me at 4.25%, but they're actually... They're inf their money is eroding by 10%. Or 8.7, which is the inflation rate they now. That's what you don't realise. So there's another income stream here, and it's called the depreciating debt. So not only have you got the capital appreciation over, over a long, medium to long term, the income it comes in, you've also got the depreciating debt that comes with it. The long-term potential of five buy-to-let properties, you know, and any property in the UK, if the numbers work, we talk about this all the time. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it appears more more enticing straight away. However, though, it's essential to know that property values can experience sudden and significant short-term declines. It's no surprise that Halifax was on this morning, you know, saying, oh, property prices have actually dropped for the first time in 11 years. 1%. Yeah, overnight. But then if you're not and selling, what, then... 1% in the last few months. And you have to laugh. And you're actually saying, it's like, see the headline. First time in 11 years, according to them. They scare people. But the reality is it's only dropped 1%. Yeah. 1% of the average property price in Fife, for example, is literally 178,000 uh, times 0.01% is 1,780 quid. Wow. That's going to cost me more to move. Yeah, it would. <laughs> but the reality is when you're buying the next property, your property is dropped by 1% as well that you're buying. So it's, yeah. it's like for like. I always say property is all about living, owning and living in a property is all about securing your place on the property ladder <laughs> and making sure you're not open to the, the swings in property appreciation and property depreciation. It keeps you stable in that, in that, in that, on that ladder. So you're not going up or down. You're staying stable. When you want to go up, 
you get a hand up and it's called a mortgage from a bank, which actually allows you to buy a bigger property. And the, the bank will discuss with you how much it's going to cost to get that mortgage. Uh, likewise, if you want to rent a property, then the landlord will discuss with you how much it costs to rent that property, which is the mortgage, effectively. I mean, you talk about these short-term declines, and obviously, like you say, the half actually one percent in the last eleven years. But if you're an investor and you've got a portfolio or a landlord with several properties, and, and uh, then these these things really matter to you because you're not going to be selling. If you're in for the long term and you're, yeah. you're you've got them in place to provide you with that cash flow income um, to support your through retirement or for your, you know what I mean, setting up for your kids or whatever, then these these declines for the short term won't have an effect on you at all. Yeah. I'm just looking up the number of private landlords um, in Scotland. I, I need to explain this to people as well. Yeah. Um, Freedom of Information Act. Um, I'm sure um, somebody actually did a Freedom of Information uh, Freedom of Information Talk amongst yourself. <laughs> Um, freedom information uh, number. Okay, here we go. So there was a publication done, freedom information request in 2020. Uh, 2020 okay, and w the person asked how many how many registered landlords are in there in Scotland, how many property how many properties do they have each, and the Scottish government came back and said, uh, and this is this is gospel. The Scottish government came back and said that 228,212 registered landlords are registered with them. That's that's the law. They have to be. So we're assuming that every single landlord in Scotland's registered because they have to be by law. Now, 228,212 registered landlords, they only have one property. That's 94% of all registrations. The next they said is how many have two properties? Well, 12,317 have two properties. That's 5% of the population are in the population in Scotland. And then they asked it, well, so what does that leave then? It leaves 1%. So yeah. what, is, what does the 1% have? And they said 1% of landlords in Scotland, which is 1,757 landlords, have three or more properties. So why am I saying that? And why am I telling people this? Well, the reality is uh, most landlords only have one property. And the reality is as well is they don't make a huge amount of money out of it and it's used as an additional supplement, possibly to their income or their retirement for later on. Top them up or, or help their retirement, yeah. And then you come back to saying, where does the impression come from? And I'll get a wee bit off the beaten track, that all the landlords are running about in Ferraris and Lamborghinis. <laughs> if they've only got one property. If I've just said to you, you're only earning about £8,000 out of property, how on earth can you afford to buy a Lamborghini? No. Where does that come from? No, and I think that's ninety-nine percent of the landlord population have only one or two properties. One mostly, ninety-four percent of them do. So how can they afford things like that? Because it comes out of their own income. Do you know the only person that runs about in a Lamborghini is the property trainers, the people that want yeah. to sell you courses? Because they want to, you to say to you, if you do and, and invest in property, you're going to be able to do what I'm doing. But they don't realise that what they're doing is actually just selling courses to them, and that provides for their lifestyle, which is the Lamborghinis and Ferraris and their big houses. But yeah. most landlords don't have that. Every single landlord doesn't have that. It's the property trainers that have got it. Mm -hmm. 
that's not an argument to go into property training, but no, it's not. And I think, I think, but that's an interesting, it's interesting figures because a lot of people do think, oh, landlords, and they've got there's lots of landlords out there and they've got big portfolios and things, and that just shows you the very, very small amount that have the biggest yes, portfolios. You get the story, and, my landlord turned up in a Lamborghini to collect a rent. It's like, well, it's no 99% of the landlords in, the, in yeah. Scotland anyway. And the Lamborghini probably wasn't bought by the rental. It was probably bought by their income because they're working as a professional, maybe an, a, maybe they're yeah. a professional accountancy, maybe they run their own business outside of this, or maybe maybe they do something else which is completely different to this, which earns them an absolute fortune. And yeah. this is only just a supplement to invest their money in to give them an extra additional support when they retire later on. It's a strategy. You know me. I really, I mean, I've got a small pension, but my pension was originally property. Yeah. And that's what most people do. Anyway, let's get back to statistics and all the rest of it. Yeah. So, property can go up, experience sudden and short-term declines, sudden increases, short-term declines. But if you're not selling, it really bears no relation on it at all. No. So, it bears no relation on it at all, okay? So, if your aim is to contribute to early retirement, like I spoke about, You'll need to invest your you you will need to invest your hundred and fifteen thousand there. That's what we that's what we're saying to them. Cash is suitable as a short term option. This is the key here. But it won't preserve your purchasing power as time passes. As I've just explained, the banks are not going to give you more than what inflation is, and not more than what they're borrowing money from the from from savers. Because let's be honest, the banks are borrowing money from the people that put their money in the bank. So they're taking your return at 4.25 and they're lending it to people like me at maybe 7%. And they're making the difference. But they're not lending it just to me with your money. They're called, they do what's called fractional lending. So they're lending your money out 10 times over. Yeah. So it's called fractional lending. I, was, so, I know that. I didn't know it was called fractional lending. And it's on the, it's on the principle that the likelihood of 10 people not paying at the same time, means that you'll still be able to pay out your 115 if somebody says, I need to take it back out the bank. Yeah. But this is where the problem comes when everybody does a run on the bank. The bank's got no money to pay because they've lent your block of money out 10 times to different people. So this is where this is what they do because the odds of everybody running on the bank at the same time or tooling them out at the same time is very, very slim. And that's how they, that's how they, that's how they gear themselves. So that's another thing. Um, so if your short term as cash is a short term option, definitely it won't preserve your purchasing power. Though to generate a real return, you must invest in you must invest that cash, whether in property, um, a carefully selected portfolio, maybe stocks. Um, I wouldn't endorse crypto, but people would go. Say, don't say crypto. <laughs> well, you know, you, you can see the now it's in the news that uh, uh, Coinbase is actually getting sued by the uh, American government. Um, gold, that's another one at hedges. Gold's not traceable, by the way. Uh, and another investment or, or, or another investment avenue. Maybe a, yeah, a there business. is other investment avenues, but yeah, we talk about business. properties because it's what we do. And well, I mean, it is, I mean, we've said it a lot of times. Um, There's another investment avenue, and it is called training and education. Yes. Because I, I, I spent a lot of money on training and education. Um, but that's a great investment because. It allows me to understand what I need to do next in order to, to in order to build wealth bigger because I'm learning from people far more successful than me. So I pick my training options carefully over time. 
and then invest the right amount of money into that because I think it's a good value and good return for my investments. So it's an investment in me, uh, but ultimately the best investment aligns with your comfort level. That's really what it comes down to. And it's seeking advice um, um, would be the definitive answer to this. The okay. You need to seek advice. If you've got 150,000 to invest, you know, this is just my opinion. And my opinion probably doesn't account for anything. You don't need to listen to me. But the reality is I am not a financial advisor. This is just what I would do. So this is what I would do, how I would do it. I would end up, well, it's what I've done, isn't it? <laughs> it's like, it's just exactly what I did. You know, I bought, instead of buying one property and having all my eggs in one basket, I leveraged my position. I used the bank's money. I got a cheaper rate. Then I would get a return. So I'd get a higher return. I'd make the, I'd make the difference on the, on, the, on the differential between. I was borrowing at the bank at 4%. I was making 15%. Therefore, I was making 11% on every pound of the bank's money. Yeah, so it works. So I'm leveraging my position. So the bank leveraged its position on the saver. Then I've leveraged my position on the bank. And then subsequently, that's how money's made. And that works in every single society. That is called the capitalistic system. That's the system yeah. we operate right now. We don't have any choice in that. It makes no difference. So the simple fact is the country is not building enough homes, okay, for people who live here. And the people who are living longer and the, quote, 600,000 plus net migration, <laughs> immigration, immigration, sorry, not migrations going out. Immigration. Net immigration we are experiencing. Well, you know, if you're playing the long game with great advice from an agent um, and do your homework, this could be what, you're, what you need to invest in. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's the key thing there. Property investment, because of the situation we're in, we're not building enough homes, we've, we've got all this, we've got a lot of obviously immigration and a lot of what we've covered today, property investment. And the, and the question is, is it still worth the risk for a Fife rental property or any rental property? We, we keep referring Fife, but that's where we are. Any yeah. rental property in the country, then the answer is yes. As long as you're careful about how you do it, you've got your numbers right and you've got the right people alongside you um, helping you and advising you to do that. Yeah. yeah. Now, I'm prepared to ask questions. I'll answer yeah. questions for the rest of it. I will come to TikTok because I noticed there's a lot of remarks, but it's nothing to do with this. It's just a general uh, remarks and that. So yeah. we'll come to TikTok later on. It's no relevant for here. Um, um, so remember, there's a there's a proviso, an undernote score here. Uh, with all investments, all income will attract taxation. Um, yeah. And it would be best to chat with an accountant about that because your position will be completely different yeah. depending on how you structure your buy-to-let investments, whether it's a limited company or whether it's in your own name or or whether it's in a limited liability partnership um, or a joint venture with someone, it's entirely, you, that's why you need to speak to an accountant about it and, and get the best advice. Uh, what's your final thoughts on this, Richard? Yeah, I mean, as I say, just to reiterate that I think um, from what we've obviously put out today, uh, it's clear that it is still worthwhile. Um, yeah. Just it needs to be done correctly. You need to know what you're doing or have the people who know what they're doing helping you along the way. And whether that's financial advisors, accountants, or an agent that knows what they're talking about and knows the market and, and knows how to set you up with a good vital portfolio if you're doing proper investment, then yes. Good stuff. Okay. Thanks very much, Richard. Good. Um, Thanks, Jim. Good time. And uh, until next time, guys, uh, bye bye for now. Yeah. Bye. Bye bye for now.